1: our first scripture reading for tonight comes from the prophet Isaiah. And I'm going to invite you to read it along with me. We're going to read their first scripture and then we're going to pray using this piece of scripture to pray tonight. So the words are going to be on on your screen. Let us read all together. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea. A path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our Lord shall stand forever. Amen.
0: I think I'm going to pull it up a little bit. (laughs) Our New Testament passage of scripture is found in the gospel of John in the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 8. John 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for three hundred denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it, keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me." This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I just can't tell you how excited I am to be here with you tonight. This is different from the morning service. (laughs) (laughs) It is really quite overjoyed. I pastored in Durham, North Carolina for 20 years, and we had an early morning service as well. um, my running joke was that we started that service, a contemporary service, very similar to this. We would start out with music and, verse, it, it, you know, not all of the elements that's in the morning. And the goal was to bring more young people into the church. 8 o'clock a.m. is not the best time to bring young people into the life of the church. So we had a service um, a lot like this one that was a mixture, generational mixture of young and old. And the seniors, I love it. I go to church at 8, I'm out by 9, I'm finished for the day. (laughs) So it really worked out well. I am excited to be here with you tonight, and I bring you greetings as the director of two offices um, for you. The Washington office in D.C., the the Washington office of public witness. We do public policy with the federal government, dealing with the State Department, the White House, and members of Congress. uh, Addressing issues of concern for Presbyterians. We can only speak to justice issues that the General Assembly has um, dictated. And also with the UN office, I don't know whether you are aware, we have a Presbyterian ministry at the United Nations. And so both ministries work together to do advocacy, to see that justice is proclaimed in the name of the church. And we do have the ability to speak on behalf of the entire church. So it's an honor to be here. This is my first visit, especially during this gathering a wonderful opportunity to come and to praise God. Isn't the music just wonderful? I mean, it's, it's so, so spirit-filled. Now, I love a good organ, and I know, love a good hymn, but this is my preference. <laughs> Also, bring you greetings from my family, my wife, Shanita. We have two teenagers, an 18 year old daughter, Kayla, who desperately wanted to come. She wanted to come to Kansas City, but unfortunately, she had school on Friday. And my son, James, who is 17. And so, while she's there with them, please pray for my wife, Shanita. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to say thank you to Hallie, to just your graciousness and for opening up this pulpit and for really being a colleague in ministry. I'm just so appreciative for your presence. We are going to examine uh, verse, the passage that I read, John 12, verses 1 through 12. And this is 1 through 8. This is a passage that we're all familiar with. We've heard this story before, how Jesus is in the home of Martha, and her sister Mary is there, and Lazarus are there. And Mary decides that she is going to anoint Jesus, as Hallie said during the um, children's sermon. But what she takes, she takes a pound of of nard, which was an expensive perfume from India. It had to be imported into the, to, to Israel, and it cost a laborer a year's wage. It was extremely expensive. And she stands at the feet of Jesus. We know they didn't sit at the tables we did. They would recline on the floor, so his feet were accessible, and she pours it on his feet. And the excess, she takes her hair and wipes it off. A wonderful, wonderful testimony to how she feels about Jesus. And Judas, who was there, Judas criticizes her. He said, this money could have been used. She could have have taken that perfume, sold it, given the money to the poor. But the writer John says he was not really thinking about the poor. He was stealing from the purse. And Jesus rebukes him and says, leave her alone. What she has done is to prepare me for my burial, because in his mind, he's thinking ahead. He's only six days from his crucifixion. And so we have this story that's told in all four Gospels. It's one of the few. All of them tell a version of the story. In two of them, however, um, the perfume is poured over his head. um, And um, he's in the home of Simon the leper or Simon the Pharisee. But the story basically is the same, and the response of Jesus is the same. As a matter of fact, in Luke, he says, what she has done is a beautiful thing for me. So what I want to talk to you um, not too long about is the perspective of Jesus in this story. In the 9 o'clock service, I talked about the perspective of Martha, how she was a homeowner. Martha was large and in charge. Martha didn't play around now. If Martha had a problem with you, she would let you know. And even Jesus, she, she told Jesus, look, you need to tell Mary to come and help me. And when her brother died, she confronted Jesus and said, if you had been here like we called you, my brother would not have died. Um, talked at the 11 o'clock about Mary. Mary was a disciple of Christ. There's just no question about it. She sat at the feet of Jesus. She learned from Jesus. And that's really what motivated her in this story. She wanted to give something back to him. And so she anointed him as a king. She anointed him as her, her, her Lord and Savior. And so she was a disciple. Now, Jesus, the image that he has of himself in this particular passage, only six days from the Passover, is of a fugitive. He is a fugitive. Now, this is not an image we normally associate with Jesus, but the chief priests and the Pharisees are looking for him. As a matter of fact, when you start in chapter 7, They begin to make plans, first to arrest him, but then his popularity grows so strong, the goal becomes to kill him. And they are talking about it openly. They're not hiding what they're trying to do. And word gets back to Jesus, and this is the tension that he is under as he is in their house. As a matter of fact, it's almost like he's hiding away because he's in this home in Bethany, and he's doing what he can. He knows he has a mission. He's on his way to Jerusalem, to his crucifixion, But right now, at this moment, he has a moment's rest with his friends, and these three individuals are his best friends in the world. Whenever he came to Bethany, he had somewhere to stay. Martha would take care of him. And so he's really he's at ease, but again, behind him is this understanding that if the chief priests and the Pharisees find him, they are going to try to put him to death. Again, this is not an image we have of Christ. We usually have a, a Savior who's in control a savior who's in charge, who see able to raise people from the dead, who heal them of all of their iniquities, of their sin and also of their um, disabilities. But here he needs a friend. He needs someone to, to take care of him, to feed him and to anoint him for the mission at hand. To be a fugitive, to be a disciple of Christ, there will be times when you will have to stand with Jesus. There will be times when you will be isolated. There are going to be times when even your family and friends are not going to understand why you spend so much time at church. Why every time I turn around, you're talking about Jesus. And there is a societal cost to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. We are called to understand that, yes, it means that our sins are forgiven, that we are at peace with our God and with our world that Christ has come in order to comfort us, that no matter how much the wars wage around this world, in Ukraine, in the Sudan, in the Congo, in Ethiopia, in Syria, in Yemen, yet our relationship with God is secure. But also there's something about being in a relationship with Jesus that causes us just a little unease that causes us to be disturbed by the suffering that people are experiencing in life, to be disturbed by racism, to be so disturbed by poverty, to see that the things that are going on all around us, we just can't be at peace. And also, what well, we are willing to step out and to take chances. We're willing to put at risk some of our friendships with people who give us ultimatums. If you don't stop talking to me about Jesus, I'm going to stop hanging around with you. There is a time when we are really called to make a decision how far we are willing to follow Christ. I'm reminded I was engaged with the Poor People's Campaign in the state of North Carolina, Reverend William Barber, um, before he became involved with the, uh, well, with the Moral Monday Movement in North Carolina, before he became involved with the Poor People's Campaign. It was basically, um, we were um, people of faith primarily going out protesting um, against different issues that were going on with the state of North Carolina, especially because of the laws. I'm sure you heard about the bathroom law um, that came out of the state, voter suppression laws. And so we had a, a, we had a, a protest with the um, school board. And while we were there, we decided that we were going to stage a protest. But then they took Reverend Barber away. And they told us, well, y'all stand over here, and when we come back, we will arrest you. So they took Reverend Barber to jail. They came back and said, oh, y'all can go home now. The show's over. And so we went into the city council meeting, a board of education meeting, and really decided to just kind of have a word of prayer and go home. But then something happened. Things kind of went awry, and they arrested um, a bunch of us. So while we were at jail, they didn't put us in general lockup. They put us in the garage, which was really a statement of mercy on their part. They said, well, we're not going to, you're, you're civil disobedience folk. You know, you're not really done anything too severe. And so they brought us water, had one deputy in, in particular who brought us water. He let us keep our cell phones. He uh, was really quite gracious to us. And so then he came back an hour later. and he says, well, I've got this manila envelope. I need for everyone to put your cell phone because I got argued at, fuss that because I hadn't confiscated your phones. So we said, well, we really don't want to get you in trouble because you have been so good to us. He says, don't worry about it. He said, I don't work for them anyway. And it was a powerful statement to me that he was more in line, attuned, aligned with us than he was with his employers. He was saying to us that he was a person of faith as well because I had my collar on, so he knew knew that we were out of the church. We are called to understand that in our lives today, that there is a risk to being a Christian. It will make you unpopular in certain areas. And we are called to proclaim the goodness of God because one of the things that we in the reformed faith believe in strongly, that God is a God of justice. And wherever there is injustice, we cannot be at ease. That God is a God who fills us with power. That God gives us strength. God even gives us words to say when we don't know what to say. And the powerful part of being in a relationship with Jesus is that Jesus is the one who fills our heart with the Holy Spirit. That's one thing about a service such as this. It's very spiritual. It is very spiritual. The music moves you. And that's really a part of the essence of our faith. We want to be moved. The question that I have as I look out upon all of your beautiful faces, what motivated you to come here tonight? And we know we all came basically for the same reason to have an experience with the risen Christ, to have an experience with Jesus Christ, who is indeed our personal Lord and Savior, because he has made a difference in our lives. He has helped us and given us insight and given us the knowledge that no matter what happens to us in life, that he is there. And there is indeed power in the name of Jesus, that when we call upon his name, that something miraculous happens. Now, as Presbyterians, You know, we get a little nervous around the Holy Spirit. (laughs) You know, we're not exactly running up and down the aisles. We're not shouting. We're not moving around. But even in our quiet response, the Spirit is moving. And I still remember as I would preach, I had a member who would sit um, right in the middle of the pews on this side. And she always had a frown on her face. Every time I looked out there, and I was kind of worried that, well, maybe I'm saying something that's upsetting her. But she was listening intensely. She was having engaged. That was her way of engaging with me. And the spirit moves in wonderful ways. For some of us, it makes us more passionate. It makes us more outspoken. For others of us, it causes us to sit and to listen. We're simply waiting for God to move. And that's why we follow a Savior who was indeed haunted he was a fugitive and in six days he will be nailed upon a cross but thanks be to God on Sunday resurrection Monday morning he was raised from the dead and therefore the world this Easter will be proclaiming his name all the world will be calling upon the name of Jesus Christ saying glory be to God for what you have done and the scriptures are true for in the beginning was the word and the word was with God And the word was God. And we're called to remember the teachings of Jesus. The teachings that have granted us salvation. That there is no greater love that anyone has than this. Than to be willing a man or a woman. Than to lay down your life for a friend. That the greatest love, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. With all of your heart. With all of your mind. With all of your soul. With everything that is within you. And to love your neighbor as you love yourself. We're called to understand that we're here to go out into this world and to transform this world into a likeness of the kingdom of God where all are fed, where all needs are met, where there are no people who are trying to find a home. There are no children who don't have a school where they are educated and all of their needs are met, where the family is not broken apart but brought back together again because there are people who know the Lord who are willing to take a message of redemption out into this world to fix a broken world. Glory be to God what God has done. Glory be to God for what God is doing in our lives. Glory be to God for what God has done in this world. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.